Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at iCloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. It's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord, hasn't it? Amen. I want to say again, thank you for being here tonight. You know, every year over these 18, soon to be 19 years, I, I always say Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if anybody will show up. And uh, every year, God reminds me, he's got a group of people that listen. Uh, they don't worry about whatever's going on in the world. They want to come and, and meet with the people of God and sing praises to him and learn of his word. And so uh, thank you for that tonight. If you have your Bible, I want you to join me back in the book of Exodus tonight, okay? The book of Exodus. And if you'll find chapter number 13, okay, Exodus chapter 13. And we were in chapter 12 this morning. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go back through a series in Exodus uh, just this Sunday, this is where God's had us, and so that's where we're going to finish up tonight, okay? Uh, many of you remember back last year, or I believe it was last year, maybe the year before, we went through uh, just about the entirety of the book of Exodus, and man, it was a journey. We called it the journey home, uh, a journey toward home, and it was a great time. We learned a lot, and so we'll be going back over something that we heard in the last year or so, and so I hope that you'll be able to pull from that, all right, as we dive into the Word tonight, Exodus chapter 13. The title of the message is Follow the Leader. Did y'all ever play that game when you were growing up, follow the leader? And uh, you had to do certain things, and you had to do it exactly like the person who was the leader did it. And uh, I always messed that up. Did anybody else mess that up a lot? Uh, I'd always mess one little thing up, and, and then you'd be disqualified. My sisters were quick to point out when I didn't do something the exact way that the leader had done it. You know, oh, you didn't hold your hand up on the right side, and there I'd be disqualified and have to go and sit down. And tonight, I want us to think about what it means to follow the leader in this relationship that we have with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, okay? Before I dive too heavily into that, I want to say it's been a great day. And what I mean by that is there were somewhere around 10 people saved throughout today, uh, both morning services. And yeah, we ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Five of those, listen to this now, five of those were at a funeral this afternoon. And so, uh, yeah, and all of those adults, it was an amazing time that we had today as uh, Mashana's grandmother and Hannah Smith's great-grandmother. We had her ongoing celebration today. And and so uh, this will be my fourth opportunity to preach, and I'm excited about it. I hope that you are. But people, God's still saving people. Aren't you glad of that? Uh, that means you get to go out of these walls if God gives you tomorrow, and you've got a message that still saves. You can just go share it. Now, it's not, you're not responsible for the salvation. You're just responsible to go share it and watch the power of the gospel uh, captivate hearts and capture people. Listen, he's the only one that can capture people and set them free all at the same time, right? All right, so back to Exodus chapter 13, all right? Remember what's happened. Uh, God is uh, saying through his man that he's going to deliver them, and when they get into this promised land, he's telling them about what the Passover is going to look like. Now, remember before they're delivered, it was gonna be this Passover lamb that was gonna be responsible for their deliverance, right? Uh, They had to have a personal lamb, a perfect lamb. Uh, It had to be specific. They had to put on both doorposts and the lintel, right, the top beam. And so we learned all of that this morning, and what we're going to find out now in chapter 13 is that uh, even though they leave out of the bondage of Egypt, instead of going and occupying the promised land, they're going to spend some time wandering in the wilderness, aren't they? And so I want you just to hold that in the back of your mind as we get started tonight. So if you would, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet tonight, 
And we're going to read Exodus 13, beginning in verse number 11 together, okay? Verse number 11, and we're going to read all the way down, you ready, through the end of the chapter, verse number 22, okay? Everybody all right? I hope you didn't show up saying, well, he'll, maybe tonight he'll read a couple of verses and we can just have a devotional and, and uh, we can get back to the game. No, 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 we're going to get right into the word tonight, okay? So here we go, beginning in verse 11. <clears throat> and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, uh, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart the, to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. And notice what he's saying. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Now, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But it's only weird because he's God and we're not. And our emotions and our economy of thinking is based so much in the moment that we don't understand the magnitude of God. But we'll come back to that. <clears throat> he says, uh, and all, I mean, the, the end of verse 13, and all the firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. So he's dealt with the firstborn of the animals. And then at the end of that, he dealt with the first, firstborn of the sons, the men, firstborn of humans. Now, how does that tie into this morning's message? What happened with the 10th plague? Death of the firstborn, both, right, both mankind and beast. Oh, so there's going to be a remembrance of that by what they're doing here from now on, okay? Now, you'll, we'll come back and look at that a little more. Verse 14, so it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Can you, can you hear the little boy saying, why are we killing the donkey? <laughs> Can't you just hear the little boy? I don't know about y'all's, but mine, Riley, when he was little, man, there are a thousand and seven questions. What is this? Why are we killing the donkey? Why are we killing the lamb to keep the donkey? That don't make any sense. And then he says, you're going to say that you shall say to him, this is your answer to your sons, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So it's a memorial, you see. Verse 15, and it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of of beasts. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand as, and on your frontless between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. <clears throat> then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that way was near. How many of y'all would rather make the short trip? <clears throat> for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, and he, <clears throat> for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped and Etham, at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and he did that to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day, and they could also walk at night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Let's pause now for a brief word of prayer. Will you pray with me for just a moment? <clears throat> God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all of the in intricate details Thank you, Lord, for how you show us and how one message builds upon another. And Lord, thank you for what you showed us this morning about Jesus, our Passover lamb. And now tonight, help us to be mindful of what we can learn. Although we're not in the old covenant, we're in the new covenant. 
Although we're looking backwards to before Christ, Lord, help us to see what we can learn from it. And now, Lord, I pray that you'd help me in the chosen mouthpiece for this chosen people and this chosen message. Help me to deliver it with clarity in such a way that the youngest among us to the oldest and everybody in between can understand. And Father, as you give us understanding and you help me to do that by the gift of preaching in your spirit, also tune my ears. Let me say tune our ears into your still small voice. And may we be sitting in our chair and it be as if we're meeting with you one-on-one that we wouldn't be thinking about the time or anything else going on in our life, but we'd be listening for what you want to say to us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> and as you're being seated, let's go back and look in the beginning, okay? And tonight I have four individual truths I'd like to share with you from this main idea. Here's the main idea. God leads his people. It's very simple, isn't it? <clears throat> God leads his people. Now, in the New Testament context, we would say God leads his people, right, uh, by the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, right? You understand that? John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, you know the Holy Spirit, the helper, because he is with you, right? But about verse 16, he says, but he will be, anybody know the two words? In you. What's the big difference between with you and in you, right? You ever tried to live life and, and, and fake all the tenets of the faith? You ever tried to fake being a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit? Man, it's impossible to love your enemies. It's impossible to uh, want to serve and do uh, when you don't have the Holy Spirit. You can fake it for a while, but boy, it gets miserable. But when you have the Holy Spirit, this, this, the Word of God says that God's laws are not burdensome when you've been born again. Isn't that good? Somebody's going, uh-oh. Somebody right now is thinking, oh, I may not be saved. And it'd be good for you to visit that. It'd be good for you to question that. The Word of God says, let a man examine himself that it makes sure that he is in the faith. And so it'd be good for you to question these things and think about the results of it, all right? So let's rewind back to the beginning here in verse number 11. Roman number one in your notes, God leads his people, all right? <clears throat> Roman number one, write this, God leads, all right, write this, God leads through parents. I, I was hoping somebody was gonna help me out right there. Uh, God leads how? Through parents. Uh, and I want to say to you that we're living in a day and time where it seems as if, and I'm not talking about parents in here, right? Uh, is it, well, is it the, the, the way people usually do that? I'm talking about parents in Alabama, all right? <laughs> and and I'm, I'm afraid that we're in a day when parents are, are, are oftentimes, instead of leading children, they're being led by children. And, and what I mean is the children sort of dictate what's watched, what's bought, uh, what, what, what we do and the ebb and flow of home life. Uh, uh, you say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Because I watch in here. I watch how parents deal with children. And, and I watch, let me say it this way. I watch how children deal with their parents rather than parents dealing with their children. Is anybody out there? And so let's just sort of look at this for a minute, okay? Verses 11 to 16, write it in your notes, okay? Verses 11 to 16. Now, remember what's happened here. Uh, God is saying to them, when you get in this promised land, now the firstborn animal and son is going to belong to me. So you're going to have to either redeem it, right, with a lamb, or you're going to have with, with, the, with the male sons, right? And with the donkey, you can either redeem it or you have to kill it. It, has to, it, it loses its life. Now, again, remember what he's saying to them. He's saying the whole, you, you, when you're reading through that, you're going, good night. Why in the world? What would be worth... A donkey losing its life, right? Because I know I got some animal lovers in here, and some of y'all, when you read that, got mad at God, you know? Because in your mind, you elevate the life of the donkey as more important than the child learning the illustration of what happened so that they, in turn, learn who God is 
so they in turn live a life blessed by God and inhabited by God because mom and dad explained to them what happened way back there that God used to deliver them from the hand of a mighty, mighty nation that they could, listen, that they could never have gotten free of on their own. So he says, I want you to do this. And when you do this, you're inevitably, uh, he, he says, your sons are going to ask you in verse 14, what are they going to ask you? What is this? Did any of your children ask a bunch of questions when they were little? How many parents of small children do we have in here right now? <laughs> uh, do they ask you a lot of questions? Uh, we were in here uh, tidying up the other day and somebody, I believe it was Titus was here and he was asking some questions, you know, and different things. And and uh, I heard Brian say, where's your mama? And I had a flashback. I really did. I, I was standing right over here. I had a flashback. And I, I sat back and started laughing. And Brian said, what are you laughing at? I said, you know, that phrase you just made was one of the most quoted phrases in my whole life uh, 20 years ago. Uh, anybody else say that? Any other dads in the room ever say, where's your mama? I could last about seven good minutes of rapid fire questions. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about? I think that's pretty good. Seven minutes. Now that's, I mean, you know how they do. They don't take a breath. Why is this? Okay. Well, why is that? What is this? What is that? Why that? Why this? And you're answering, you're answering, answering. And then finally, I'm telling you, you could almost time it. Seven minutes. I say, where's your mama? Where's your mama at? And so uh, kids are inquisitive and God knows that about us. How about, let me just help you understand something about God. He knows all things and he'll use what he knows to produce the results that he desires. So what does he desire? He desires a young children being taught by his daddy and mama uh, about the things of God. That's what he wants from you. Now, listen, we don't go back and do this particular teaching, but instead we are, we are recipients of a better covenant, according to Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews says that the old covenant was always only a part of the plan leading to the plan, right? And so we're part of this better covenant. And yet, and yet, I'm telling you, it is more often than I care to indulge and share with you tonight how many funerals I preach. And I'll ask the children, tell me about your daddy's faith. And sometimes the best they can say is, well, he went to church all the time. When did he get saved? I don't know. We just were always members. He's in the church every time the doors open. Yeah, but when was he born again? I don't know. He never talked about it. And it startles me how a dad and a mom could live their whole lives and teach their children and talk about all kinds of stuff and never share the good news of what God did to deliver them from the bondage of sin. Now, in fact, we know that it is a requirement that God intends for me and you specifically to teach you say, how do I know that? Because Paul said about the Old Testament, it was written for our learning. So what can I learn from this? That I need to sacrifice my donkey? No. I can learn from this that I'm responsible to teach my children what God did for me way back there. I'm supposed to live a different life, and my kids should be asking me, Daddy, what is this that we do on Sunday? Oh, we gather as the people of God. Why do we take naps in the afternoon? Oh, because God says it's a day that's holy and set apart to him, and we need to rest our bodies. What is this that we give when they pass the basket? Oh, well, the Lord desires of me to be generous like him, and so as followers of Christ, we give. Uh, there ought to be, uh, Daddy, what is this that you do at the table with your Bible every morning? Oh, well, it's me in relationship with God getting to know him better every day. And so our life is the same as their life, except for thank God we're not having to kill our donkeys. Amen? <clears throat> I don't have a donkey, by the way, but you understand. Uh, we instead get to live out the tenets of our faith, but the purpose is that our kids ought to be asking us, hey, why are you different? Why don't, why don't we watch what, what, John, what little Billy and them watch? 
Why don't we go the places that they go? What is this? And you and I are able to say, oh, it was the mighty hand of God that delivered me back in 1992 from the bondage of sin and the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And, and because of that, I've been delivered to a brand new, I've been moved from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And so we live different in the light. We don't live the same way we lived in the dark. We live a different way. And what a glorious thing to learn it from you. Listen, to learn it from you before they hear it from me. It's much stronger when they see the example in your life, mom, dad, grandma, granddad. When they see it in your life, in my life, we parents and grandparents are expected by God to tell of what God has done and teach his ways to our children, both by word and by deed. I wonder how strong my kids' faith will be, your kids' faith will be, because of the example you set and the way you answered the questions. Do they ask questions? Do you, do, do you look different enough that your kids ask you, why do we do this when everybody else don't do it? And I hope that you do because that's the whole point, okay? Are everybody with me? We're moving on, Roman numeral two. Somebody said, whew, let's please move on. Roman numeral two, all right? First we said God leads how? Through parents. And let me add to that, grandparents. You say, why do you add grandparents? <clears throat> Not too long ago I was at a place and a lady got up in front of the group and began to share her testimony. She talked about the fact that her mom and daddy had no evidence of God in their lives ever her whole life. But she said as she shed tears, she said, the only evidence of God, the only uh, influence of God I had in my life was my, I remember growing up, and every time I'd visit my grandparents, my granddaddy and I'd be in the swing, and he'd be reading Bible verses to me and telling me about what it meant and the fact that God loved me and that Jesus had died for me. She said, it's the only example I ever had. It didn't come from mom and dad. It came from granddad. And so I just want to encourage you, all right? Uh, to be that for them. All right, let me move on. Roman number two. First, God leads us, uh, leads through parents. Number two, God always leads the right way. Okay? He always leads the right way. Now, does it always feel like the right way? No. I don't understand why uh, my flesh is so opposed, listen, to the will of God. I can't believe my preacher said he's always got a voice in there trying to talk him out of doing what God says do. And yeah. Uh, it's called the nature of Adam, and you have it too. And don't try to pretend like you don't, because you do. If the Bible is true, and it is, then you also have that nature, even if you're born again. And there's always that little voice that talks against what God says, and it talks against faith. And, it talks, and we usually blame it on the devil, but the adversary that's most commonly with me and you is the nature of our flesh. We're, when we wake up, we're together. When we go to sleep, we're together. At lunch break, we're together. I tell you, sometimes I can't wait to get rid of me, and I'll have to die to do that. But I can't wait to get rid of me, the old nature. Finally, when I'm in heaven with King Jesus, that person will be fully glorified. Aren't you glad? There's coming a day. All right, God always leads the right way, 17 and 18. Look with me. So we talked about all that the parents were to do, the dads were to do, and it would be a sign and it would be something for the kids to learn about God's power over the uh, forces of darkness and over the bondage of sin. Now verse 17, that it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, all right? Although, now this is a big although, this is a contrasting word, although that way was near. Now, why would he say although? Because logic says the straightest point, a distance between two places is a straight line. And we, by nature, want the nearest path, don't we? I want to ask you, how'd you pick your parking space tonight? <laughs> hey, hey. And the reason is we want the nearest route. 
It's in, it's in our DNA. It's how we are wired. And, uh, and I want to just encourage you, like, we have to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to change that about us. Now, I'm not talking about you all to park in the farthest part and walk through the rain uh, uh, unless you're just not able, right? And what I'm saying is the Scripture says don't do anything by selfish ambition. Well, so I should choose my parking space not based on you, on me, because I'm healthy, but based on you, because you may not be as healthy. And so I ought to consider, hey, there are others that can't get around as good as me, and so let me park a little further so someone else can park a little Closer. Now listen, he said the nearest way, they didn't go. Now, <clears throat> interestingly enough, God didn't say that to them. Let me say this to you about God. Although he's always leading the right way, he didn't always fill me and you in with all the details. You already knew that, didn't you? How many times are you getting frustrated with God because he didn't show you the whole plan? Huh? He says, go that way. You say, but why? Go that way. But why? Why go that way? Do this. Why do that? And we are like those little children, right? Thank God he lasts more than seven minutes and ask me where my mom is at. But he's a patient God, and he leads and guides the right way, even when the right way is not the nearest way. So there are a couple of statements I want to make, too, as a matter of fact, in these two verses, 17 and 18. Number one, write this down. I said, God always leads the right way. That's Roman numeral two, but little number one, write this. The right way is not always the easiest way. It's not always the easiest way. I, by the way, can I just tell you, can I be honest for a minute? I wish it was. If I'm being honest with you, I like easy. Anybody else like easy? Now, I'll do hard. But I don't choose hard. I wish somebody would amen. Y'all making me feel all alone up here tonight. I, if I get a choice, I'm always going to choose easier. As long as I can come out with the same outcome, right? That's the problem. Most of the time, it's the hard way that gets the best result, isn't it? When you have to sand that wood one more time, you know what I mean? When you have to put that second or third coat of paint on, when you just really want to do it in one and get done with it. And so, but the best results are produced oftentimes the long way. Now, let's talk a little bit about the shortest way. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> he says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not <clears throat> lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Now, uh, because even though that way was near. Now, now let me ask you something. When, when someone's leading you and they're leading you somewhere and they choose to bypass the short route and make you go the long route, how does that make you feel? Huh? I don't, we can't say it in here, can we? Huh? Make us mad. It makes me mad. Why are you going to take me the long way? If there was a shorter way, why didn't we go that way? You ever done that? You ever go to the GPS and that thing send you some crazy way and you look back and you're like, that's the street we just passed. I could have come that way and saved a minute and a half. <clears throat> right? And so we do that because we miss something. Now, now, listen, the reason oftentimes we are angry at God because we don't get the easiest way and the most comfortable way and the shortest way is because we misunderstand the motivation of God that sends us the long way. Now, now listen, read, go in there and read right now ahead of me and read why it was that he didn't take them that way. Now, don't answer out loud. I just want you to read it. Now, you're going to be the teacher, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point at somebody. You come on up, and I'm going to hand you the mic. I'm just kidding, y'all. Man, I missed the Super Bowl, went up there, and the preacher handed me a mic. Scared me half to death. Read it. Go ahead and read it, and I'm going to ask you a question, <clears throat> okay? So you're reading 17 and 18. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not let them. He didn't lead them. He led them the long way. He didn't lead them the short way. And this is why. What did God say? If they go the short way, they might change their minds. Now, is it, is it a bad thing to change your mind? Nah, it can be, but it's not always. But in this case, what are they changing their minds about? Bondage in Egypt. And God is so loving and kind and compassionate and concerned with the people who are not always concerned about him. 
to say, I'm not going to lead you the shorter route, even though that would make you happier. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to take you the long route because it's going to make you holier. I'm not going to take you the shorter route, which for the moment would be more pleasurable. I'm going to take you the long way because if you go the short way, you may see something. It may change your mind. You may be put in a circumstance. You might be in a situation. You might make a decision. You may fall to sin, and you may choose in the moment to go back to bondage. And God, listen, it is mercy and grace does not want his children to be in chains. Now that ought to, listen, if we got a mature bone in our body, that ought to make us happy when he sends us the long way. If it's going to keep us from going back to that which binds us and holds us as slaves. The problem is we can't see that far ahead, but God can. So then it becomes, listen to me, a faith issue. It boils down to, do I believe that God really works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose? If I believe that, then I say, Lord, if it's a long way, then the long way. If it's the hard way, then the hard way. Send me that way if it's best for me, that I might look more like Jesus, that I may look more like you. So sometimes the right way is not always the easiest way. Matter of fact, the right way sometimes looks like a wheelchair, And I've told you this story so many times before, but I said until I'm gone from planet Earth to my forever home, I'm going to talk about the man who used to live across the street in that double-wide trailer who was paralyzed from the neck down, Naaman Smith. And I'm I'm always going to tell the story about the day he and I were out front and we were doing a little concrete there. I was, but he was out there sweating with me. And he says, best thing ever happened to me. I said, man, this little handicap ramp, come on, man. You've had better things happen than this. He said, no, I mean this wheelchair. That wasn't a short route. It wasn't an easy route. It wasn't the easy. Matter of fact, he, you know what? There would be times I'd visit him over and he'd say, Pastor, can you hand me a drink of water? I'm, I'm a little dehydrated. He couldn't get his own drink of water. But in that condition, he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. Wasn't a short route. And I said to him on that day, I said, Name, what do you mean this is the best thing ever happened to you? He said, well, uh, if this didn't happen, if I'd have seen, see, he said, if they saw the Philistines, and they said, oh, goodness, we're going to have to fight those rascals. And so, you know what? It'd be easier for us to go back to Egypt. And Naaman said, God knew if I wasn't in this wheelchair, I'd still be running and gunning. And I'd be headed for hell. And so God said about Naaman, lest he end up in hell, lest he lead an empty life without me, I'm going to allow him in his own sin to make decisions that lead him to a place that's not the shortest route, but it certainly is the best route. And man, to hear a guy say that with a smile on his face, you're talking about an old preacher getting broke down. It broke me down out there. I I complain a lot. I don't know about y'all, but I complain sometimes. So God always leads the right way, but the right way is not always the easiest way. Sometimes the right way looks like a wheelchair. Sometimes it looks like cancer. And when it looks like cancer, it, it it is God's allowed something to come in that his intent is always for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so again, it boils down to a faith issue, doesn't it? And whether we believe that cancer, that may not be the shortest route, it may not be the easiest route, or the most comfortable route, but it in fact produces something in us that's so much more beautiful. Our relationship with him grows so much closer And other people that we never would have met in the other circumstance get to hear our testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Sometimes the right way looks like the loss of your job. Sometimes it looks like, and you could fill in the blank, looks like divorce. Now, I'm not saying God causes these things. You're following with me? 
But God will allow the decisions that we make to lead to certain circumstances that he will, in fact, turn to the right. Aren't you glad that God's able to do that? He's so big. He's so big that even in our sin, he can take and turn it for our good and his glory. Let me try to move on if I can, all right? I'm going to move to number two under Roman numeral two, all right? So let me say this thing about God before I move to number two. Here it is. Because God knows all things. He knows what is best for those he loves. And he said, I'm not going to send them the easy way because they may, they may see the Philistines and decide to go back to bondage. So I'm going to send them the long way. Now, they're going to sweat a little more. They're going to, they're going to get some sore joints, you know. Uh, they're going to have more blisters. Always somebody to understand what I'm saying. There's going to be some things that rub them the wrong way on this route, but it's going to produce the best in them and for them. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God that he knows what I need even when I don't. Number two is found in verse 18. And so we said the right way is not always the easiest way, so I'm going to reverse that and say it this way. The right way is sometimes the long way. So the right way is not always the easiest way, but sometimes, in fact, the right way is the long way. Look in verse 18 with me. So uh, God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel <clears throat> went up in orderly ranks and out of the land of Egypt. They had to go the long route, and going the long route produced a people who knew him better and experienced his power and saw the Red Sea part. Now, I wish I could tell you that motivated them to go on and go into the promised land, but, but it didn't. Only the young ones among them got to go. All right, let's move on if we can to verse number 19. Everybody okay? All right, Roman numeral three, and we're going to look at verse number 19. Number one, we said God leads through parents, and we added to that grandparents, right? Number two, we said God always leads the right way. Two things we noticed. The right way is not always the easiest way. Number two, the right way is sometimes the long way and the hard way, okay? But Roman numeral three, I want you to write this down, verse 19. God's people honor their vows, now, when is a time, I want you to think about something. When is a time in our life as the church, as the church that gathers at Hickory Ridge, that we take vows? Think about that for a minute. Think about it in your life and relationships. When do you take vows? First one comes to mind, marriage. Uh, sometimes people, they write their own vows, right? And it's a vow is a promise, right? It's a promise. And so a vow is a promise. Now, uh, what are some ways that we as a church, we just had one, parent, child dedication, all right? Now, I want you to think about it. Why don't we call it just baby dedication? Because the parents are being dedicated and the child is being dedicated, right? The parents are making a commitment and the congregation is making a commitment. You, you, you know that before I get you to read that commitment, okay, that I prayed through and wrote out years ago uh, as what I believe God desires for the parent to be for the child and for the congregation to be for the family, for the children, raising the children. I always tell you what, before I want you to say it out loud, what do I tell you to do? Read it, consider it, see if you can agree, honor it. Somebody said honor it. Uh, I always tell you that, right? Because I don't, listen, I'm not into vain repetition. I'm not into, hey, do this because I said do it. Uh, it's an invitation for you to read it and see if you're willing to make that vow. And I always, make a, I always make a comment. I make the same comment. I make it over and over. I say it's better, does anybody remember what I say there? It's better not to make a vow than to, Make a vow and not keep it. All right, we're coming back to that. So let's look at verse number, what I tell you? 19, all right, let's read it. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Why? For he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath. They had made a promise, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they carried Joseph's bone as a honoring of their vows. Here's a verse, two verses I want you to write down your notes. 
Ecclesiastes, all right, write it down, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Ecclesiastes is part of wisdom writing, okay, poetry and, and wisdom writing. And I want you to write down Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5. Let's see what Solomon, who was the one who asked God, God said, you can ask anything you want from me. And you remember what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. I want wisdom. This is what he said, okay? In Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5. Are you reading along with me? Is it on the overhead? All right, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. Why? Because God has no in fools. Now, pause. Leave that on the overhead for me, okay? Now, we got we to gotta determine some things before we, we understand what's going on. Uh, the Bible defines a fool not as somebody who does foolish things, right? The Bible defines a fool one specific way is the one who says in their heart, there is no God. Now, how does that relate to making a vow and not keeping it? Oh, let me ask you something. You ever promised your daddy you were going to do something? Anybody in here ever promised your daddy you're going to do something? And, and then maybe you didn't do it, and he, and he helped persuade you that next time you said you were going to do something, that you were going to do it. And how many of you, after that, you, you, you were a lot more intentional on, huh, on keeping that. Now, now let, me, let me ask you this. How many of you ever promised a stranger something, and you'd agree that it's easier to break that promise to a stranger than it was to your daddy? That's what he's saying. If you make a vow to God, it's not the governor. It's not the president. It's not the sheriff of town. You just made a promise to God. And if you can break that, you must think there is no God. What? It's heavy, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how the word of God comes alive when you begin comparing and putting it all together? So if I make a promise to God and I don't keep it, I'm living like a fool. And that fool is a person who says, there is no God. God, I promise I will. I promise I will. But then when it comes time, eh, no big deal. He's just another person among a sea of people. And that is the foolish way of living because only a fool equates God as a man. That is, in essence, the same as saying there is no God. Because apart from him, there is no other, and there is none comparable to him. He's God all by himself. So Ecclesiastes, let's read a little further. So we made some determinations there. When you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it. Don't delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vowed. Pay, do what you said you would do. Better not, uh-oh, there's the quote you hear me say. Read it with me. Better, come on, all together. Better not to vow than to vow. Oh. So, the Lord pressed this on my heart just a little while ago that I'm supposed to say to you in here, and I don't know who, but it's for somebody. There's something that you've promised God, and you've not held up your end. And because of that, there's consequences in your life that you're suffering because of it. And so you say, well, preacher, why do you bring that up? I bring it up because God told me to at my kitchen table about 45 minutes ago. And I don't know who, some of you are like, how did you know? I don't have a clue. But, but he's God. And he's not forgotten what you said you were going to do. And it wasn't a joke to him. And so whatever it was that you said, I don't know who you are, but I'm supposed to tell somebody in here, whatever you said and promised him you were going to do, you need to get about doing it. Okay, I've done what I was supposed to do. Now it's in your court, and you'll get to do or not do what you're supposed to do. Okay, we good? Yes? All right. All right, here we go. Moving on. So God's people honor their vows. Now, in closing, Roman numeral four, God always leads, listen to this, from the place of mercy. 
I was hoping somebody was going to amen. Now I hope somebody was going. You know, it's interesting. Only me. I felt the amen jumping out of my eyes trying to hold it back. And I was looking out, and everybody's just looking down at the paper. And I'm thinking about the mercy of God. Now, I know I'm probably preaching to a bunch of people who have done really good your whole lives, but I'm not that guy. I've messed up. Listen, I've messed up in ways I couldn't say from up here. It embarrassed me to tell you the ways I've messed up and failed God in my past. And so when I talk about mercy, and I'm probably not talking about you guys because y'all probably haven't really messed up much, but I've messed up so much that when I think about the mercy of God, it moves me. And I can't just, you know, write a note down and just stand. When I think about the mercy of God, I'm so thankful because he doesn't have to. He could deal with me justly without mercy, and I'd be doomed. I'd be doomed. Oh, and by the way, so would you. So would you. Let me read, all right? Uh, Exodus 13, 21 and 22. So I'm going to read verse 20. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped and ate them in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. Now, uh, they're in the wilderness now and they're going to be in the wilderness later on for a long time. And God in his mercy, even when they were going the wrong direction, even then when they were complaining against him, even when they weren't doing the things that he asked them to do, he was a pillar of cloud in the sunny day to protect them from the and he was a pillar of fire by night to show him which way to go and he didn't have to because they had disobeyed and walked away from him and treated him like he was worse than a third cousin twice removed and yet he always leads from the place somebody help me of mercy he never leads us based on what we deserve he always leads us from a place of mercy he says I'm going to send you out this way and as we go out this way, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you what you need by night so that you can have some warmth from the fire. Because, you know, in the wilderness, it gets cool in that area of the world in the evenings, in dark. And God said, I'm going to warm you, and I'm going to give you light so you'll know which way to go. And also, when the sun is scorching down, because it gets really hot in the day, uh, don't you love sometimes when you're out in the middle of August here in Mississippi when a cloud blows up? Praise the Lord. I've, I've asked God before to hold that cloud still for a minute. And, and he was that cloud for them. And they didn't deserve that. They deserved to freeze at night for how they treated God. And they deserved, they deserved to be scorched in that sun for how they treated God. But he didn't lead them from that place. He led them from the place, y'all help me, of mercy. And can I tell you tonight that he's the same God he's always been. And no matter where you and I've been or what we've done or how unfaithful we've been to him, he leads us from the place of mercy. He doesn't say, I'm going to lead you based on what you've done. He said, I'm going to lead you based on who I am. And he's a merciful God. And I, I need that mercy every moment of every hour of every day. How I'm able to tell people when they say, man, why are you so happy? I'm able to say, because I, I'll never be dealt with according to what I deserve. I'll never face the wrath of God, and I deserve it. I never will, not one drop of it. I deserve it, but I'll never face it. And so I just want to encourage you tonight that God leads from the place of mercy. Now, let me give you a verse before we close. Isaiah 58, verse number 11. Here's what God said uh, through his prophet, Isaiah 58, verse 11. The Lord will guide you. Y'all help me. He'll guide you in. Continue. So does that mean that God will guide me when I have failed him? Yes, he will. Does it mean that God will guide me when I have turned my back on him and chosen other leaders? If I'll turn back to him, he will in fact lead me, all right? He says uh, he'll lead you continually and he'll satisfy your soul in drought. Not only that, but he'll, come on, y'all, help me. Strengthen your bones. Sometimes I take that literally. Yeah. 
my physical therapist asked me, we didn't know that you were going to get full movement back. I said, why didn't you tell me? So we don't tell people that on the front end, but you have full movement and everything's working about three weeks ahead of schedule. What do you, what is going on? I said, God helps me. He helps me. He has to help me. I'm a special case. He helps me, but really I'm not because he helps me the same way he helps you. And the truth is we're all special cases and he knows us. He, he, listen, he's mindful that we're made of the dust. And he's willing to meet us there and help us. Aren't you glad? He'll, he'll give us water when in the dry season, and he'll strengthen our bones when they're, when they're broken and healing. Aren't you glad? And he'll heal those things. Let me just read a little more. I love Isaiah 50, 11. You shall be like a watered garden, huh? I love sometimes seeing somebody's got a good garden that's been watered and thinking plants are green. It's producing some, I'm thinking about a red ripe tomato. Hallelujah. And hey, hope before too long, hopefully. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail because God is the source of your strength and the strength, uh, source of your joy. And so I just want to remind you something about the children of Israel, even when they began to wander in the wilderness a little later down the road. When they began to wander in the wilderness, I want to remind you something that maybe you've forgotten about. Now, I've asked you before who wants to wander in the wilderness and nobody raised their hands and I'm glad that you didn't because I don't want to wander in the wilderness either. Right, when God promised me the land with milk and honey, well, then I would like to just, Claim the promise of God, walk in obedience, and watch him lead me into that land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, that sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? But even when they were wandering in disobedience, listen to me. There's something you may have missed. They wandered as free men and women. Think about that for a minute. Even when they disobeyed, even when they didn't believe, even when they said we couldn't, even when they said we're grasshoppers in our sight, even though God says we're giants because he's our God, even when they said we can't go in when God said they could, even when they said we will forfeit what God has for us and go back into bondage, they still wandered as free men and women. Never forget that. Let me ask you to bow your head with me tonight. Would you do that? Who is like our God? Come on, somebody help me. Who's like our God? Nobody. Nobody's like our God. He's uncomparable. He's unsearchable. <clears throat> and tonight I want to just remind you that he leads his people. The question is, here's the question, you ready? Will you be led by him? Today's the first day of the week, and it's been a great day. And God has taught us a lot, hasn't he? And he's connected some dots on the Passover lamb, and now tonight he, he, he reminded us that he's, he'll lead us if we'll let him. And so we're left with the question of what we will do in response to what God has done. First of all, what has God done? He's provided the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. What will you do? What will you do with Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you turned over the sin and shame and guilt and given that over to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Have you traded that in for a full unconditional pardon? If not, let me ask you something. What are you waiting for? Religion won't do it and church attendance won't do it and giving won't do it and serving won't do it have to be a waving of the white flag and inviting Jesus to come be the personal Lord of your life. He'll do it. He'll save you. He'll do it tonight. You know, that 10 number could be 11, could be 12 before this day is over, depending on what's happening in your heart, not just in this room, but who's listening out there somewhere else. Salvation is available for you no matter where you've been, listen, or what you've done. God is chasing after you and he's desirous for you 
And he's made a way for you to know him. And the way he has a name, his name is Jesus. And he bled and he died as the penalty for our sins that we have committed and the sins of the whole wide world. He was placed in a tomb. It was borrowed because he only needed it for just a little while. On the third day, he rose again. If you'll trust in Jesus, if you'll trust in who he is and what he did, if you'll trust in him in such a way that you're willing to step off the throne of your heart and give leadership, give that throne over to Jesus. If you'll take the doorknob of your heart, open the door and receive, say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life and be Lord? Guide me and direct me. Listen to what he'll do. He will. He will. He says, none that ever called on my name will be put to shame. He'll do it if you'll let him. Now I want to say the altar's open. Maybe there's somebody who just come and pray with us, pray for us. The Lord put a little thunder there on us to wake us up. And so the altar's open. If you may feel compelled of the Holy Ghost to come pray for lost souls, not just in the room, but all around the world. Maybe God was stirring your heart right now, an urgency for lost people that are just a breath away from hell, a lake of fire, eternal separation from God, a Christless eternity. It ought to move all of us to tears tonight. Just come pray. Maybe you have somebody in your family that's lost. Maybe you just come to the altar tonight and pray for them. I know we can't know for sure, but maybe there's somebody in your life that you just feel like needs Jesus. Why don't you just tonight come bring them before the Lord in prayer? Oh, the altar's filling up. I'm so thankful that God has people on your heart that you're willing to come and pray for. So we're just going to pray for lost right now. Lost souls to be saved. Chains to be broken. People to be set free. Wouldn't it be great if people got to experience what we get to experience with Jesus? So let's just pray for them right now. Father, we come before you and we ask you to save. I know there are many at the altar right now lifting up particular names and people. Some of them, it's their sons and daughters. Some it's their parents. Some it's their neighbors, some cousins, brothers and sisters, some neighbors and co-workers. Father, we pray specifically that you would bind the strong man in their life, Satan, so that you might plunder his goods, meaning you'd rescue them. You'd steal them away from the enemy. Father, we pray that you take the blinders off of their eyes that the God of this age is placed there and help them to see the glorious light of the gospel. Open their hearts to Jesus. That's what we pray. Father, if this one person in this room doesn't know you, would you save them tonight? Father, if it's one person listening right now that has not received Jesus as Lord, God, would you save them tonight right where they are? Father, would you tonight, would you, as this message is going to be put into a, a format where the po podcast will go on for however long. Lord, as somebody weeks, months, years from now has got their, their AirPods in, they're listening to this, and right now you're gripping their heart. They feel as if they can't breathe. I pray in Jesus' name they'd surrender to you right now. Now, as you send the rain, send the rain of heaven tonight. Wash over us, God. Lord, I pray for the one in the room tonight that may be distant from you, that needs to draw near to you. I pray for the one who's discouraged tonight because they've not been seeing the results they wish. I pray tonight they'd find their hope and joy and trust in Jesus. Now, Father, we thank you for the rain and the rainy seasons that produce growth. And now, as we begin to lift our voices in song, we pray your Holy Spirit would have freedom to move. That the enemy would not distract, that the birds wouldn't steal the seed away, that right now they'd find good soil in the hearts and produce a wonderful crop tonight. 
Father, we pray, please move in our midst however you see fit. In Jesus' name.